So I have an offering for you all. Make sure you listen to the end of this episode so you can hear all about it. Hey, it's HPG. This is the podcast, Living My Breastless Life, the show where we hear about my journey to heal while battling cancer, being a wife, a toddler mom. We're going to cover all things real life. We learn what it really means to heal no matter what we go through. In season one, you will hear some of my story along with episodes featuring my occasional co-host, Martha, and some badass guests. There will be humor, life hacks, tips and tricks, and further proof that truth can be stranger than fiction. So when working with the folks that you work with in terms of folks who have a cancer diagnosis or in the battle or have completed their battle, what are some common things that you hear from each individual that you work with? Yeah, you know, I think it's so interesting because we're sort of socialized to put our really kind of a positive foot forward, right? To like, to, to kind of um, put on Instagram or put on Facebook, you know, like feeling like a warrior, right? This idea that um, I'm going to beat this, I'm a survivor. Um, but privately, when I'm coaching, so often what people are actually talking about is feeling really like almost like damaged goods. And that is not a phrase that I um, personally use. And so it really made my stomach turn the first couple of times I had clients use that phrase. But it happens so often, I can't ignore it. Um, and really feeling like um, like almost unlovable. Those things really shocked me in the beginning when I first started working with people who've been diagnosed with cancer. Um, and I thought in the beginning, you know, maybe it was tied to certain types of cancer. In the end, I think it's tied a lot more to a throwaway culture where we, you know, kind of discard things that aren't perfect. And so, you know, I think cancer is such a um, such a bomb in people's lives because, you know, most people, not all, but many people, particularly people I consider to be kind of in the middle of life, right, in the prime of their lives, walk into the doctor's office think, thinking they're healthy or that they've got a cold or, you know, something, something's gotten out of control, but not that they're as sick as they are, right? Uh, and, and so they, they, they have this huge shift from, you know, well or well-ish to actually very sick. Uh, um, and that there is a, there's not a, there's not a slope, right? Where we have this adjustment time period. It's, it's much more um, akin, I think, to something like a severe car accident or to a natural disaster, right? That's really what, what happens. And so, um, you know, the, the, the shift in identity as we kind of get to know ourselves takes so much longer that in that period from who we were to who we'll be, there's a lot of really, um, a lot of self-doubt comes up. Like, what am I worth now? Who am I? And so what I was most um, surprised by in the beginning was how many people said things like, who could love me? Or am I lovable like this? Um, and and it's funny even saying this out loud. I don't know why it surprised me because I had those thoughts, but I think I thought that only I had them. You know, that, that I was ill-equipped, for example, in the beginning around the lack of fertility. But most women who are 
diagnosed, you know, in the kind of prime will have some sort of hormonal um, impact or between chemo and radiation will lose some fertility. And so this is, this becomes a universal issue of cancer survivors. Um, but it's said quietly, you know, it's said in, in behind closed doors. It's not what we're seeing on Facebook. And yet client after client is saying it to me. When you use the parallel, like a car accident or a natural disaster, I went to have my mammogram as a preventative part of what you do when you turn 40, you go get a mammogram, right? And I want everybody listening to go get their mammograms. I'll never stop pestering people about getting those because I went and I was completely fine. And when they called, I thought they wanted a copay because I was the last patient on a Friday. So when they called on Monday, I assumed, oh, they didn't collect my copay. They want money. I didn't know they were going to say, you have a mass. So like you go from the instance that I'm speaking of, my only one I know about, you go along and you get this test and you think everything's fine and then you are not. And it's interesting that the parallel amongst the folks that you work with say something along the lines of feeling damaged because you kind of do. And you're right, it's not spoken you know, in my case, the fight like the girl or the, the all the pink we see in October. But you do feel like, like, almost like, well, who would want to get close to me if I had cancer? And like, especially at a young age, because I don't know, it brings out every issue you've probably ever had. And then it brings forth a lot of issues that you now have. Like, well, who will love me? because of this from many ways or will they be afraid to get close? Am I too too high risk for love or... That's really interesting that you have seen that or heard that in all the work you've done with folks. What do you think is a good way to help folks come to a resolve with that feeling? What I think of is that it's part of the journey, right? There's this level of acceptance and and of this transitioning body, of this transitioning self-identity. You know, what's um, really under uh, marketed or under understood, right, under publicized is this this way of thinking that we go into treatment for a physical issue, right? But what we come out dealing with is a whole life transition, right? And so I see this, this, um, you know, this kind of feeling like damaged goods or this like questioning of who am I and my own worth is part of this like hero's journey that I think nearly everyone has to go through. Occasionally I'll see somebody online or I'll hear a podcast where somebody seems to escape this and I always think, but did you really? <laughs> because for most people, what we see is this like, you know, emotional grieving of who we were, which includes can we even look at, physically look at the body that we now have, right? So I think of it as kind of the early stages of acceptance. Um, and for some time, for some people, it takes a long time, right? And for some people, the physical 
repercussions of their disease are really significant. And so there's a lot of acceptance, right? Maybe we never fully accept. I think for me and for the people that I've worked with, namely when I was a hospice social worker, is moving into some period of acceptance. And by doing that, you are able to process and kind of weed out what that looks for you. And it changes daily, really. And I think the other end of that expect that spectrum is that we we drive, you know, we're shooting towards towards acceptance, right? We drive toward acceptance with the hope that eventually we get back to hopeful, right? So I think there's this like, you know, I, I like for some reason I often use water analogies, right? So I often think like the depths of these questions, that kind of dark, murky underside of the lake are these questions of like, am I lovable, right? But can we ever get back to this place of like hopefulness? And I think one part of that journey is what feels like hope or hopeful may look really different from when we started, right? The goals change, the dreams change, right? And so one of the things I often implement with my clients is purposefully creating hopeful days, Right. I'm going to have a day full of hope by doing X, Y, and Z. And that is really the other side of, am I still lovable? Right. Am I a high risk person? Right. So what I did was I worked to deal in the very beginning. I wish I would have worked a little bit harder on finding the joy in each day. And, you know, from the beginning, like what joy and this may sound, to anybody who's newly diagnosed, this may sound like complete horseshit. But in retrospect, instead of trying to work it away or plan every single detail because of my control issues, right? I wish I would have focused on, like, what in this day can bring me joy? Aside from the obvious, which is my wife and my daughter. Like, what can I do to be more embracing of joy? That seems to kind of go hand in hand with what you were talking about, like, in terms of how hope can look different. That is one thing I would personally encourage someone to do. Find something that you can be joyful about, even if it's just having coffee and listening to the birds chirp in the morning. Or your joy might be that there's a new season of something on a streaming platform that you like. Like find some type of joy. I think that would be part of what I would give or tell someone who was newly diagnosed. And that's just basing it on the fact that I worked to try to like thought suppress. Had I maybe flipped it a little bit and stepped into more of a period of like, what can I do in the here and now that's going to bring me joy, even if it's for five minutes? I think the other thing that I like, I think of so like, it just like sits in my um, chest as you talk about this is um, Kate Bowler, who's a stage four um, colon cancer, um, to the stage four colon cancer diagnosis. And she's in the prime of her life. She's in her mid you know, mid-30s. And one of the things that she talks a lot about is that joy is is something that we receive, not something we create, right? Something that we allow. And I think so often when I hear, when I talk with my clients, they're, they're, um, they're shrinking their lives, right? They're trying to control every minute, right? And, and not with the desire of, of controlling for the sake of controlling, but of really wanting to like hold on to the things that they still have, right? And so when I hear you talking about joy, right, it's like allowing there to still be light, right? Allowing there to still be levity. 
And one of the things, you know, I think a lot about is how do we create more opportunities for connection with people who understand, right? Because there's this like um, fear around, am I allowed to have joy, right? And so I think what you're saying is it is, and I'm willing to seek it, right? I'm, I will find it. I will be available for it. Um, and that is really a gift in the sense that you don't have to go out and create it, right? But can you be open to it? And that is like true strength with all that you're going through. Yeah. And I think fear, obviously you're going to have fear, um, consumed with fear. But if you could be open to just maybe sitting with a joyous thought for maybe a minute, and, and add it as a practice every day. Some things that I would tell a new, a person who is newly diagnosed is to journal, even if it's just bullet words, even if it's a lot of cuss words and, you know, just get it out of your head and get with folks who are survivors and connect right away. Connect with a coach right away. Connect with folks of like mind who hear you and can help you. I agree 100%. I think for so many people, this is um, the scale of this journey feels unknown, right? Because um, I'm not sure why. I'm really not sure why. I think a lot about it, but I don't know why. I don't know why we don't have, you know, a cancer diagnosis on the same level as becoming a parent, right? The way we support new families in our community is, is really lovely, right? We we kind of circle around them. And for, to some extent, there is a lot of bringing meals, right, if we're lucky. But sharing the emotional burden of this disease is really hard to do. I was doing a podcast the other day about working with folks living with HIV and AIDS, which was the end of my social work's life work. And there's so much stigma. And when I heard the words come out of my mouth in the early 80s or the mid 80s, it was perceived as gay cancer. After I finished that episode, I was thinking, hmm, is there a lot of stigma around cancer? And as a survivor, I can only speak to myself. I'm going to say yes, because it's uncomfortable because people either fear it internally themselves, right? We all fear it, facts, but it's uncomfortable. It's people don't know what to say. It can it can be quite, as they say, Debbie Downer-ish, you know? So I wonder if that's why people don't rally like a new baby because new babies are cute and snuggly and you get to buy fun things. You get to celebrate, right? And then we're over here, or I'm over here, spazzing out, needing somebody to listen to my catastrophizing and worst case scenario. You know, it's, it, it brings up a lot of discomfort for people. And it probably triggers other people because they either know someone who's had it and whose outcome was uh, very hard for them. You know, it brings up their grief and loss. And for people like us, we're young and we don't really want to face or even think about facing our own mortality statistically until we're around 45. So, you know, there's, there's just something to to think about. Like, you know, maybe that's why. But you bring a really good perspective about why. It's very thought-provoking. It's like, why do people not rally around a person? And I'm not saying they don't. I'm saying in what I've observed and what you and I have talked about, like, why do people not rally around folks? Because it is life-changing, if not more, than having a new baby. 
or becoming a parent for the first time. Let's take a little break and get right back to the show. Feel free to let us know what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. Get in touch by heading over to According to HPG on Instagram and be sure to tell your friends about the show. There was a time when I thought I could record, edit, and publish everything myself. Seeing as this left me very little time for anything else, I started to lose the standard of quality I was used to. Then I found Jay. In less than a day, the show went from so-so to amazing. Don't sacrifice quality for mediocrity. Check out the podcast mechanic and take your sound to the next level. Connect with Jay today at the Podcast Mechanic on Instagram. Let him know HPG sent you. And now, back to the show. You know, where I come to on this is... Um, that it's probably not around, uh, not about other people. It's about our own tolerance to sit with the discomfort of the questions this disease brings up, right? And so maybe it's not around how other people respond to us, which is, which is, you know, these questions in general, because everyone will have to ask them at some point, mm-hmm. right? Like, I may be the first of my friends, but I'm not the first one. Right. Right? And so how do I prepare myself to have a higher tolerance for this level, for this type of discomfort? So what are some tips or things that you would share with someone who is newly diagnosed? Well, one of my favorite, and it it works so well because we've been talking about babies, right? But one of my favorite things to, to recommend to my clients is that they start to see themselves as babies. And what I mean by that is when we have a little one who's learning to walk, they're tired, right? They're scared. The world is suddenly huge when it used to just be in whoever's whoever's arms was holding them, right? And suddenly the world is big and stairs are scary, right? And we're kind of in that same place when we're in treatment. And so I would just say to people, like, put together your own compassion plan, right? If you were a baby right now, you'd plan for extra naps, extra snacks, and extra hugs. What does your own version of extra snacks, extra naps, and extra hugs look like, right? Mm -hmm. And, And feel personally responsible for that. And then I think, you know, we're I, I really talk with my clients about this being kind of a four four phased journey, right? So we go from diagnosis to treatment to recovery from treatment and then to rebuilding, right? And that each one of those phases requires a different plan and new levels of self-compassion. Right. And so the one thing I say to everybody is like, love yourself the way you would love a baby. We're so used to saying things like, I can't wait till I can be the person who's doing the laundry again, right? Or I can't wait until I can be, I'm well enough to, I don't know, get the car washed or do my meal prep or all these things, right? That used to give us a, a way of having the world run smoothly. But you may be out from, from that for a while, 
So how do you love yourself in these really intense spaces of churn and discomfort, right? Where your own energy is unpredictable and your, you know, your needs, wants, and cares are different, right? And love yourself the way you would a baby through that. And it will go faster. Hating yourself through this, hating the disease, hating your lack of energy only brings more hate. One of the suggestions I have pairs with that, and that's advocacy. Advocate for yourself as if it were your spouse, your child, the person that you love the most in this world. And I say that because for me, it was easier to advocate for others for the past two decades because that's what I knew how to do. When it came to self-advocacy with providers, physicians, nurses, practitioners, PT, physical therapy, you know, all all the key players in the, in the game and in the battle, advocate for yourself as if you were the person that you love the most in the world. And that helps. It helped me become more productive in the advocacy and less focused on what if I upset them or what if I'm annoying or what if I'm too much. Until I got comfortable with self-advocacy, that is something that I would highly advise folks to do if they struggle with that or not accustomed to that. Yeah, I love that you're saying that. I, I, um, I could not agree with you more. And, you know, I really do. Um, I really do think it's important for us to feel a sense of strong personal responsibility throughout this journey. It's a really hard thing, right? Because it feels so out of our control. And especially in the beginning, so much of what we're going through and doing is dictated by doctors. And and interestingly, like, I don't know if this is was your experience, but for so many of us, it's just like, here's your medical schedule. It's not like, well, this time work for you, right? It's like, here's your schedule. You're going to need to work. You're going to need to reschedule your life around this, right? So just immediately we lose control, right? Um, but we don't lose responsibility. You feel like you're at their mercy, so to speak. And it is your responsibility to say, hey, this does not work for me. Like in some cases, the inflexibility of their schedule is just what it is. So to some extent, I think we go in thinking that it is best of intent on all, from all sides, right? And then it's a constant checking in to find out, like, am I able to follow this? And is there room for negotiation? What I've heard from my patients and clients over the years is that that's the doctor. That's what the doctor said. Because there's, that's just what I've heard. You know, they're on a different level, different hierarchy, so to speak. But it's okay to have questions, ask the questions, and it's okay to be the squeaky wheel. It really is okay. And I think that a lot of folks, even like me, who don't want to impose or like, what if I'm seen as, you know, a quote unquote bad patient, that probably stems from being on the other side of the desk for so long too, which has its benefits and obviously its negative weight as well. I'm also married to a nurse, so like we can be difficult, like we're often the last to take care of ourselves. And then like for me, I knew enough to be quote unquote dangerous. So the point is, no matter what you've done for an occupation that may or may not have became your identity, which is another episode, 
But like, just ask for what you need. And if you don't know what you need, ask for somebody to help you tease that out, weed that out. Um, One of the things you said to me over the time we worked together was, it sounds like you need somebody to help you make a plan. And that, that may sound so asinine, especially from a person like me who loves a plan, but like just somebody gently suggesting like, this might be helpful. I was like, oh, that's exactly what I need. I need a plan. Duh. And, but we get so lost in like this because it is so overwhelming. It is so nice to have a quote unquote third party who knows what it's like to help identify like the goals in the here and now that are short term, but incredibly impactful on the long-term result. Yeah, I I don't think it sounds asinine. I think very few people know what to do. And it is, um, it is overwhelming. And I think it's really easy to get um, feelings, right? Changing physical body, fear, financial concerns, you know, family issues. Am I productive in the ways I used to be? All of these things braided into a knot that we can't. And so I think we do need somebody to help us you know, un- untangle it, pull those pieces apart and and really focus on what are our priorities. And they are really different than they were a month before, six weeks before, a year before, right? So it's like, how do I even get started? It's like most people think like, I just want to keep moving. I just want to keep moving forward, right? I just want this to be over, but they can't even get their footing under them, right? In order to know how to move forward. And that's where things like coaching come in because there is, you know, we can reestablish solid ground. We can put that foundation back and forth, but you are not alone at all in feeling that sort of bewildered sense of like, I'm lost in the woods here. I don't know how to do this. It is really normal. What I just thought about was you can't do it alone, but only you can do it. So I think when we're talking about like suggestions for folks who are newly or recently diagnosed, like again, getting in community and getting with folks of like mind who can be helpful and also like not making assumptions and been putting conditions around hard no's. Like, I think people make assumptions of like cost, for example, or, well, this person, this friend from high school would never help me. Reach out, ask. I guess one of the big sorrows for me is that there are these, you know, I think of thousands, maybe even millions of people who are navigating these same waters alone, right? And that is... um I just as the it is this sense of heaviness in my chest, right? And um, it's one of the problems I want to try to solve, right? Is that I looked for something that that would help approach this problem differently, and I couldn't find it, and so I'm creating it. But I I think this is um, one of the biggest drains on people's energy as they're going through treatment is trying to um, reestablish themselves and start to feel like themselves again um, and how to do that, how to find their way. And But people are doing it differently. I just feel like we're, we have this beautiful community of strong, driven, creative people who are shining flashlights into the same forest and their lights are never meeting. And it just kind of breaks my heart. I think the services that you offer are amazing and I'm very blessed and lucky to have found you because the outcome for me could look a lot different had I let this pile up and pile up and pile up, which is part of why you and I are talking 
today, today to spread awareness. Number one, go get your mammograms, get your preventative testing done. For goodness sakes, go to the doctor. And two, like if you're lurking and listening, like these are ways that you can ask for help. And it's okay to ask for help. I have a new saying. Would you like to hear it? It's not mine either. It's also from Laura McCallum's new book. However, asking for help is the most responsible thing that you can do. So if you're you're the mind that you're a responsible human being, which I've just come to learn to be in the past couple years, ask for help. Ask again. Ask if that does, if you don't get the answer you want, ask somebody else. Ask for help because this is a hard thing to do alone. I mean, it's hard, period. And then to do it alone, I can't imagine had I not had the supports that I had that I largely connected with online because where we currently live, we don't have a lot of natural supports. And I knew that. I mean, you did that from the beginning. I think I think we found each other and you were days into your diagnosis and you asked for help online. So, I mean, it was really early. You really, really kind of innately knew that you needed to put your team in place. You know, having a one-year-old living in a city where we just didn't have a lot of natural supports and we were in still in the COVID times and I just, I knew the stakes were really high if I didn't um, reach out. And I think... I think it's really awesome when people can connect with nurse navigators and social workers at their provider's office. That was not the case for me, so I was even more driven to ask for help. But even if you have those systems in place, the more support, the better, because this is, I've been through a shit ton of hard things. This is the hardest thing I've ever done. It is one of the most isolating things I've ever done. And it's not over when treatment ends. So like, there's so many good reasons to get somebody to coach you along the way because it doesn't just end after your surgery or after radiation or after chemo. It is a, it is a, it's a lifelong thing that you most certainly did not like sign up for. And it's so multi-layered. So thank you for like wanting to shine the light into the dark forest. And I'm glad that we could be like a team to spread awareness for that because it is definitely something that's a lot of these things that are not, they're just not talked about. And that's, again, like part of why I started this podcast because I want to talk about the things that people do not do not talk about. So I have a new support group starting every Monday through Friday at noon Eastern time. It is a free support group for anyone who's been diagnosed with cancer from newly diagnosed to years out. Um, And the goal is to help provide um, an honest, healing, hopeful place for people to talk about their experience. So if people are interested, just DM me at This Is Cancer Strong and I will send you all the details. How long will you be holding the circle? I just indefinitely see this as a group that people can come and receive and give support. You know, I think um, what a beautiful gift, right? As we, like, you know, right now you are giving back to this community. What a beautiful gift as we sort of come on the other side, whatever that looks like, right? To be able to give back. And so I see this really as a full circle. It's why it's called the circle, right? This is a place where we kind of gather 
together, heal together, give back together, right? Bring the new, newly diagnosed in, help them heal, right? So we create this sort of energetic healing space. Um, cancer is so much more than the physical disease, right? And so it's about how to heal emotionally. And I'll make sure to attach that information in the show notes if people want to go back and look. Thank you. And I do want to say, like, this is a come as you are, right? Such a vulnerable disease, right? In that, like, you lost your hair. I remember us talking about losing your nails, right? It's really vulnerable to be able to show up physically different than we're used to. And so this is a space where you can come as you are. If your energy is low, come and come from your bedroom, you know, come from your car, come from wherever you are. You don't have to put on your wig. You don't have to put on your makeup, right? You don't have to present in any way. You are welcome in this space if you've been diagnosed. So come and receive the energy on the days that you need it and give it back on the days when you can. Thank you for meeting today. It's great to have you back. Good to see you. I can't wait to have you. And we can delve into many more topics because there's a lot to it, right? Talk soon. Bye. All right. Take care. Recently, I was able to interview Laura McGowan about her new book, Push Off From Here. That said, I have an extra copy. So hop on over to Instagram, follow According to HPG, send me a DM of a topic you'd like to hear, including your email, and I will randomly select a person who gets to receive Laura's book, Push Off From Here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living My Breastless Life. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please leave a review, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Go get your mammograms.